Now please join with me in today's scripture reading from Matthew 5, verses 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Are we awake this morning? Yeah. I think. Oh yeah, okay, good. Man, I am glad that you made it here this morning. Whatever is going on in your life, whatever's going on in your head, I hope you feel welcome. And I hope this morning, I really appreciated Todd leading us in worship this morning and the way you went about it and the songs. And I actually asked Zach to pull up some of the lyrics. You are a good, good father, um, that that's who you are. Um, and then the next slide, and I can't really see it. Oh, there you go. I can see it. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am. I, I, I was just moved by those lyrics, especially thinking about the next few weeks we'll be looking at the Sermon on the Mount and looking at some teachings that, that may be a stretch or may be hard and talking about how do we integrate these teachings into our lives. And I was struck this morning um, singing these songs of this reality that we're loved, right? By the creator of the universe who loves us so deeply in a real way and I've said this over the last several weeks in different ways, but the more that that sinks in, that that is who God is, our good, good Father who loves us. And the more it sinks in that who we are is God's children, loved by God. The more that that sinks in, the more natural it can become to trust God's teachings, to trust it and to say, okay, I trust you, God. You're a good, good Father. You have said these things because you love me to help me, not because you're trying to somehow spank me or get at me or make things hard for me, but you love me. So when God says, okay, go do something like go be reconciled, and that can be a scary teaching this morning, like can we start with this fact that God is a good, good father and who we are as people who are loved by this God, amen? So would you pray with me? Let's, let's pray and then dig into some of the Sermon on the Mount this morning. God, thank you that we're here. God, thank you we get to sit in this beautiful uh, space. And I just think of the people long ago who, who built this space and, and designed it and, and even built this building for people to come and worship a long, long time ago. Um, and we sit here now, God, and, and I ask that you would remind us that we're loved. Remind us that you are our good, good Father, and I ask this morning that wherever we at, whatever worries or ideas or challenges are, are in our brains, that we could be present in this moment and, and let the words of Jesus teach us. God, would, would you comfort us and would you challenge us? Um, in Jesus' name, amen. 
So for the next few weeks, some of you like to look ahead. Um, we're going to look at a few teachings from the Sermon on the Mount, kind of leading up into Thanksgiving time. And this sermon is a beautiful, fascinating text, and it really gets to the heart at what it is to be human, like what it is to be human with other humans who God has made and how we work this out. And these teachings can be an incredible guide to how we live and an incredible guide to what we call spiritual formation, to, to God living in us and renewing us from the inside out. And this morning we're going to study part of the sermon and study it for a few weeks. So like other texts in the scriptures, we need to study it, right? Like to study what the words mean, to study the historical background, to, to study the, the context of why it was written so that we can interpret it, so that we can know the truth, amen? So we need to study it, but I, I also want to point out that, that as we have this this appreciation for the, for the study of the text and, and the background and, and all that stuff. And, and to be honest, I geek out. I, I love this stuff. Like, I, I love the background and, you know, learning about the original language. It's fun. But some of these teachings in this Sermon on the Mount are, are also pretty straightforward. Like, some of them are, 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 fairly, are fairly simple and, and, and fairly straightforward. And, and we could read them to, like, an eight-year-old, and they would say, oh, well, that means you... Like Jesus is saying to, to do this, to live like this. So there's this idea of studying it, right? Studying it to, to know the truth. But then there is this question of, at some point, how do we integrate it into our life is the big question. How do we take the teaching and look at our life and say, well, how do we integrate this into how we actually live here, right, on the planet Earth with the actual humans that we are actually around every day, right? Like, how do we integrate it into that? Like, so to forgive your enemy, right? To, to love God more than money, like to, to give money away, to not store up treasures, to, right, to not judge. Beautiful things to study. And then there's this point of, like, at some point we got to give it a try in real life, right? At, at some point you got to say, okay, like I've, I've studied it, what does it look like in my real life? Knowing that I'm loved, knowing that God cares about me, knowing that God doesn't want to shame me, but, but how do I try it out in real life? Or it's not really real in our lives. We're not really the salt and the light. Quick question, can I give you a basketball illustration? The answer is yes, okay, the answer is yes. I, I try to hold off on these, but I, I couldn't resist this one. So I want you to imagine that I taught you all the mechanics of how to shoot a basketball. Like, like, like all like the, the right ways to do it, okay? Like how to hold your hands and how to bend your knees and which foot goes in front of which foot and how your you know, feet are placed shoulder width apart and how this hand just sits here and this hand is under the ball but not this palm, like your fingertips and how you shoot you know, up, not out and how you wanna have backspin. Like imagine if I broke down all the mechanics of how to shoot a basketball for a written test next week, okay? And I gave you, here's 100 things to know about how to shoot a basketball, and I gave you, study this, come back next week. And imagine you came back, and some of you got 100, okay? Imagine you don't play basketball, but you, like, you, you memorize all the mechanics perfectly. Like, this foot goes three inches above this, and this, and this should backspin and rotate at this angle, and go have an arc to better fall in the hoop, and you learned all that, and you got 100%. And I was like, that's, that's amazing, you got 100%. And then I said, 
okay, now go jump on the court across the street with some good players and make a basket in a game. Now, if you are not a good basketball player, guess what? You will not make a basket in a game. Like, you can learn all of the stuff, all the, the calculations and the foot placement in theory and get 100% on a test, okay? But not actually have any idea how to do that, right, in a real life scenario or how this actually feels like to try and then how to do it when there's a human being running at you. Like, it's different. We can know a lot of information about the scriptures and about God, but, but how do we put it in our life? That is how we, like when we live on the vine, live with God, we learn how to integrate these things into our lives, trusting that what Jesus said about life is really good for us, right? Because when it comes to, like, if Jesus really is Jesus and we can trust him, and he really knows all, right? He's really God in a human body. And Jesus says, here you go. Like, here's how this works. Here's the way God meant for you to live, to thrive. Then let's give it a shot, okay? And let's learn the Greek and Hebrew. And let's, right, let's study the background of what raka means, right? And, and what the gift of the altar means. But then at some point, it's like, what do we do with it? And I'm actually going to not talk this morning for as long as we usually do for the sermon, and I want to give us some space to reflect on, okay, what do, we, what, do I, what do I do with this in my actual life? With actual human beings who I might struggle with, what do I do with that? And this is one of the ways that we become salt and light. So last week I talked about being salt and light in this world, that God made us as a unique people, right? To, to spread the love of God in a unique way. That God called us to be peculiar and live in this certain way. And these teachings are ways that we are salt and light. If you and I are people who live in the way of reconciliation, that is weird in our culture. If we're the kind of person that is like, no, I am trying to make things right. I am going above and beyond to make things right with you. That is odd in our world. And that is one way that we are salt and light in this world to live in this way of Jesus. And Jesus says, people will see your good deeds and will glorify your Father in heaven. So let's, let's read this again from Matthew 5. This is early on in the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus teaching. You have heard it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, if you're angry with a brother or a sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and, and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to court with him or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. So there's this act of murder, but the act of murder is really the outward representation or, or manifestation of an inward attitude, something deep inside of our heart. I, I've heard it said that one way to understand this passage 
is that Jesus is saying that, that there is no slope when it comes to this. Have you ever heard about people warning you of a slippery slope? Right? Well, if you believe that, you might go to this. Or if you do this, you might go to this. Right? If you do this, it might go down. And Jesus says, no, there's no slope towards that. Like, good, don't murder. But, but once you're on the slope of holding on to anger, that is not the way of Jesus. That is not God's way. So there's no slope. It's just like, let's just not do it up here. Wow, anger is a real part of our life, isn't it? This is not a joke. This is something in the human condition we, we have to wrestle with because there are real human beings who do real hurtful things. And we do have emotions, right? And we do have pain and we do have conflict. And we have to figure out how to live in this reality with these other humans who do cause anger to come up inside of us. And then we have a choice of what to do with that anger. So for some Bible background of this, it's pretty simple. Jesus is interpreting the scriptures, the ancient scriptures. So Jesus is interpreting Exodus 20, 13 from the Ten Commandments, which you've probably heard of. And Exodus 20, 13 is a super long and complicated commandment that says, you shall not murder. Right? It's just like, you shall not murder, Exodus 20, 13. And what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount is he's interpreting the ancient texts. He's made it clear in Matthew 5, 17, he's not here to abolish the law or the prophets, but to, to fulfill it. And in Jesus' time, rabbis and scholars would go and they would debate the ancient text and they would say, well, it means this. And they kind of had teachings that they would put on the ancient teachings. And so someone like Jesus would go and say, well, I, I'm interpreting it this way. And you've heard it said this. So this was actually kind of commonplace that someone like Jesus would say, well, you've heard it said this, but I'm going to interpret it this way. I'm going I'm to teach you this ancient text. I'm going to teach you what it means. So Jesus starts off by saying, you've heard it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you're angry with a brother or sister, you're liable to judgment. So this old commandment, do not murder, man, and I remember being a kid and going through the Ten Commandments, like a stressed out little kid in a Christian school thinking he's messing up, that's another story. But going through the Ten Commandments and then getting to that one and being like, oh, I can get that one. Like, right? You shall not murder, I, 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 I'm not gonna do that today. I got that one checked off on my list with God. I mean, the one before, honor your father and mother, is way more complicated in some ways, right? That's, that's messy. But like, okay, do not murder. I can, I can check that one off. Okay, good. And then Jesus says, oh, oh, actually, hold on. Actually, it's not quite that simple. There's, there, there's a deeper meaning between anger and murder. There's a, there's a deeper connection. And I want to ask us to ponder these questions that Jesus asked this morning. Let's kind of just get into it, what Jesus said. Three questions. Let's reflect on these. Are you holding anger in your heart towards your fellow human being? Now, there's, a, there's a difference between an initial rush of anger, right? Like we can have an emotion when someone does something. That's one thing that comes up. But then there is when we, when we hold it, right? When, when we hold that anger towards another human being and we don't work it out. So are, are we holding anger in our hearts towards our fellow human beings? Have you insulted your fellow human being? And have you said something similar to you fool, to your fellow human being, your fellow human being created in God's image? 
This is what Jesus is getting at. Okay, you haven't murdered, great. But I'm telling you, you're in big danger if you're doing these things. You are in danger of evil, right, creeping in your life. You're in danger of getting stuck in this cycle of anger. And I don't know about you, but I've seen anger take hold of people's lives and just just take all the emotional energy they have, right, to to hold on to anger towards another human. And it can just take over such a chunk of the energy that we have in a day to hold on to this anger we have against another human. Dallas Willard talks about this passage, and and he wrote a, a classic book on spiritual formation called The Divine Conspiracy. And he gives a lot of theory about spiritual formation in the background, and then he goes through the Sermon on the Mount piece by piece in the book. And he gets to the part where he he talks about the idea of saying you fool or insulting somebody. And Dallas Willard tries to make the point that like, this is harsher than you fool. Because like if we said, oh, you fool, like we don't really say that today that often. We might, but he's saying, no, you fool in this context is actually a lot harsher. And if some of you may have seen Dallas Willard, I I got to see him speak before he died. He was an older gentleman um, when he became famous and spoke a lot. They just imagine like Mr. Rogers, but like a theologian, like wearing like a, like a sweater and like a really nice dress and like very, the most kind, proper, like humble, ethical human being. Like, and he wasn't an exciting speaker. He kind of, he kind of talked like this because Jesus said this about the thing. So I'm imagining Dallas Willard and then I'm reading what he says about this passage. So proper and so kind and so wise and old Dallas Willard. And he says, really, it's not you full. It's more like effing blank. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Dallas Willard wrote that in a book. And he says, oh, you stupid. And he wrote out a word. And I like literally was in my office. Like, I can't believe Dallas Willard wrote cuss words in a book. Like, it just shocks me. It's Dallas Willard. Like, it's like your perfect grandpa, like writes a cuss word in a book about Jesus. But he's making this point like, no, it's not you full. It's when you get to that point, you're like, you, right? You this, this. Whether you say it to a person or whether you think it in your head, right? You have that moment where you're like, that? I cannot believe they would do that. Like, that? Why do they think that way? Right? That person is a, I can't believe them. And Jesus says, yeah, that's actually really, really not okay. With the God who loves your fellow human being. It's really not okay to to hold on to that. It's really, actually really not okay to insult your fellow human being that God created in God's image. So then Jesus gives an illustration to say, here's how serious this is. And he gives an illustration which does take a little study and context to understand how kind of crazy and intense this illustration is. But Jesus says, okay, so when you're offering your gift at the altar, Jesus is telling like a story they would go through to help them understand how serious this is. When you're offering a gift, if you remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. I'm going to just stop there. And we're going to focus on this first illustration for a few minutes. So first, some historical background. Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. It says he walked up on the hill or the mountain and people gathered around him and he delivered this address. Jesus was from that area. The disciples were probably from that area. And so his initial followers were from this region of the Sea of Galilee. 
like working class people, a lot of fishermen, you know, peasants, normal folks. That's where he started things. So Jesus is up here in the Sea of Galilee. And to go to the altar probably refers to going to Jerusalem, which was about a three days journey away if you could walk really fast and you were in good shape and you could do it. Remember, there's no Uber back here, right, to go the 80 miles. There's no BART. There's no, it's like, it's way down there. And the temple was in Jerusalem, about a three-day journey. And you also, this is probably referring to, to getting some sort of really special live animal, like to take to the altar. So at some point, you're going on a huge journey. You get there. You spend some sum of money to get this really great animal. You go down to the altar. And then you realize that you need to reconcile with someone. And so imagine, this is like you just took a journey to New York, okay? And like from their cultural norm. You're all the way over there. This is a big deal doing this, this whole worship thing. You went all the way. This is very special that you made it all the way out there. And you're right there. You're going to finish this thing. And God reminds you. And God doesn't even remind you that you did something to somebody. If you read the text, the text actually says that your brother has something against you. So it's not getting to the altar and you realize, oh my gosh, I slandered, right? I slandered my friend yesterday. That was horrible. I have to go. No, you actually get to the altar and realize my friend is angry with me or someone I know is angry with me. It doesn't even say that you did anything. You just realize you and another human have an issue that you have not resolved. And so you leave it, he says, and then you leave it at the altar. This is how important it is. You leave it at the altar and you go all the way back and you get reconciled. And then you come all the way back and you finish. So in the context, this is crazy. Like this is ridiculous. You went 80 miles for an incredibly special occasion. You got your animal, right? You're up there and you realize somebody's mad at you and you're going to leave it there, which is unclear. This probably would have been very difficult to figure out how you leave it there. It's not clear historically. Like, could you leave it with somebody else there? Like, I, would you carry it back? I and mean, you couldn't do that. So he says, leave it at the altar. Go all the way home, right? To your neighborhood. Find that person. Then go all the way back. I mean, this, this almost rivals what Jesus says about cutting off your hand, right? If your hand is causing you to sin. It's meant to be, this is really extreme. This is not practical, right? This does not really make sense. This is, is a huge, drastic sacrifice you're making to do this. But that's the point. The point is Jesus saying, this is how important it is to your Father God that you are reconciled. Then in the middle of this incredibly important experience of you going to, to obey right, obey the teachings and go to the altar and worship, that you would actually leave it and go back 80 miles on foot and make things right. Jesus is saying, you, I'm trying to let you know how incredibly important this is to God. That you would do whatever it would take to go find that person and to be reconciled with your brother or sister. And we see here, it's fascinating to me that, that he actually says, go do it before you worship. Like, you, like, no, you don't get to worship. You don't get to do this great worship thing. Yes, you're supposed to worship in this way, but you have to wait to do the worship thing until you go all the way and make things right with your fellow human. 
So here's the thing. Like, if this is really important to God, so important that Jesus tells this dramatic story and says, man, being angry is like murder. Like, they're, they're connected. And you should walk 80 miles out of your way to make things right. That is really a compelling teaching. At least I think it is. I want to say something obvious. This is really hard in real life. Can I get an amen? This is really hard. And I just want to say this teaching is no joke. To say, okay, everybody, you know, let's go be reconciled. It's super easy. <laughs> right? Make a quick phone call. It'll, go, it'll be fine. Like, don't worry about it. It'll be easy. It's not always that easy. It's not. It's hard. And it can be painful. And depending on your personality type, it might be, I mean, just incredibly difficult. Like fear might well up inside you, like thinking about somebody and thinking about going to reconcile with someone. I have some friends that they love, they love conflict. Like, oh, give me that conflict. Like, I, that's, you know, I eat conflict for breakfast. That's how I was brought up. And then I know some people, kind of like me, like, oh my gosh, I got to muster all the courage in my soul and ask friends to pray for me, right? And like pray fast and like read the scripture again to, to muster up the, the energy to go and, and start a conflict, right? And to say, hey, I, this happened. I, I, I want to make this right between you and I. And even in studying this this week, I, I had things come up in my life where I'm like, oh, I haven't reconciled with this person. Oh, I should just go do it. And then this thought hit, oh my gosh, that's hard. This is really hard. This is not a joke. This is really, really hard to think about how to do this in, in real life. But one point I want to make is that that human being who we may not be reconciled with, God made that human being. Amen? God created that human being. These Psalms we read about how God made us, right, in our mother's womb. God created that human being. God loves that human being. In all their messiness of life, just how God loves us, right? In all our messiness of life. And God knows it will take courage and honesty and bravery and vulnerability to go and do this. But this is what Jesus teaches us. This is the best way to live. And I, I want to point out that, that Jesus teaches to, to go, right? He says, go and be reconciled. Go and do it. The, the reality is, as a human being... I can't control how you take me trying to reconcile, right? So I can walk 80 miles to you thinking that you, you have a thing against me. I can walk 80 miles with all the prayer and courage I can muster, right? I can call every friend I have to pray for me. I can walk 80 miles to you and say, hey, I think we have an issue. Can we please talk about this? And that person could say, forget you, right? Or they could say, you hurt me too much. Or they could say, I have no problem. Or you could start a really messy conversation that takes like 10 coffee dates, right? This is, I'm trying to say this, this can be messy. It might be simple for you and it might be a really hard process of you pursuing reconciliation with somebody when you don't control how they interact with your pursuit of reconciliation. These are not easy things to do. This is not an easy, you know, fill in the blank test. Just choose B and it's done. But Jesus says, 
right at, towards the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of the first things Jesus hits. Jesus says, this is so incredibly important that you would leave your gift at the altar in Jerusalem and run back and pursue reconciliation with your brother or sister. So this morning, knowing that this can be hard and knowing that this can be messy, I want to invite us to take a few moments before communion, even as a way of, of preparing our hearts for communion, and take a few moments of quiet, and could we begin to wrestle with what the Spirit is calling us into? Because the reality is, I, like, we don't all know each other's lives. God knows, the Spirit of God knows. I believe the Spirit of God speaks to us. But can we take some time and say, God, what are you calling me into? If this is this important, that Jesus would say this this strongly, and I also know this can be really hard for me, God, what are you inviting me into? It, maybe it's an email. Maybe it's a written letter. Maybe it is a phone call. Maybe it is a text. Right? Maybe it's someone in your household. Maybe it's somebody who lives across the world. But could we pause and say, if this is this important to Jesus' teaching, if he says it this emphatically, can we take a few minutes and wrestle and pray and say, God, would you speak to me about how I can do this? And I might not do it perfectly, and I really need you, God, to help me, but can we take a few moments and pray about that? So, so would you just take a moment, and if you want to close your eyes or if you want to do whatever you can do to, to give yourself a moment, and would you ask God to speak to you? And would you ask God to give you courage? And would you ask God to help us trust him and to, and to trust his teachings? And would you ask God, help us to be salt and light in this way? So I'm just going to give you a couple of minutes to start to pray and ponder what the Spirit would say to you this morning. I'm going to give you another minute to pray, and I'm going to ask you to consider in this moment of prayer if there is a real tangible, like a tangible, practical thing that God might be calling you to.
Amen. I'm struck by the image of God as a father who teaches us things that we may not want to do, but that are actually better for us. Like for those of you who, who are parents or have seen people parent, there's the moment as a parent where you're like, I'm telling you this is the best way to do it. I know that sounds hard to you, but I'm telling you this is the best way for your life, right, to approach this thing. And I, I just see this text like that. For some of us, this teaching is really helpful because we would skip this otherwise, right? And we need this teaching of a loving father, a loving God to say, I know this is hard, but in the end, this brings wholeness. I know this is hard, but, but in the end, this is the better way to live, to have freedom. Like to have freedom and wholeness, this is actually the, the, the better way to live with other humans. I'm really grateful for this teaching of Jesus for us. So we're going to take communion in just a moment. And I think Stephanie has extra communion elements if you don't have it. And this morning, as we pause for communion, I want to invite you once, I want to raise your hand if you need, if you need some communion elements. Anyone want to raise their hand? Awesome. Um, as we pause this morning, I want to invite you to just hold on to that for now. Just, just hold on to these elements. These elements that represent the body of Christ broken for us and, and the blood of Christ that was shed for us. And this teaching this morning involved the story Jesus told of someone going to the altar, right? Going to worship in a certain way and then pausing and going and making things right first. So in the spirit of this passage, can we, well, let's just pause for a moment. Pause, and as, we, as the worship, as uh, we get ready to jump, jump back into music, would you just wait a minute, just pause, pray, begin to worship, consider the sacrifice of Jesus. Consider Jesus' teachings. And, and when you are ready in your time with God as we begin to worship, go ahead and partake this communion where we honor the sacrifice of Jesus um, who gave his life for us. Amen? Yeah, so go ahead and take it as when you're ready.